What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 54 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise at Cardio UK and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host, that's your boy, Chris Pugh, and I am joined, as ever, by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? Mate, I can't be better. Could not be better at all. Um, feeling pretty good. Delighted to be back on. 54 episodes. I have not done anything else apart from work longer than 55 hours in my life, I don't think. Uh, we're getting we're getting to a point where the, the noise podcast is like the thing I've put the becoming the thing I put the most time in, like ever. This is kind of this kind of astonishing. Yeah, like I think you'd have to probably look at my previous gaming records on certain games that would equate to like fifty four hours. I, I think I think like Gears of War two, I put in like twenty three days. Um, 23 days 20, 23 days yeah so when you when you can that's nearly the whole of february <laughs> <laughs> yeah mate mate well my gears of war too oh my bro i was like 16 i mean what the fuck else was there to do like when i was 16 go outside no <laughs> when, when i was 16 oh when i was 16 it was like uh go to school um see uh, my then girlfriend on the weekend uh, play football on the weekend. Uh, other than that, mate, after school it was right. Gears of War time, lads, and I just, mate. I mean, those were the easiest days of my life. They were twenty three days of my life on Gears on Gears of War two. And I, I, I'd like to think fifty four episodes, usually over an hour each. Then you've got the time listening to the albums. Then you've got the time editing the podcast, putting it all together. I'd like to think that by this time next year. Man, I think maybe like 12, 13 um, days of our lives, maybe, would be yeah, think, added towards the podcast. <laughs> I think that I think that sounds I think that sounds about accurate. Imagine if imagine if it was like you could do the noise podcast for two years, or you can sit in a room together for two weeks. I think oh, I, I it, could you, do you know what I mean when you put it in that sort of perspective? It'd be it's it's crazy to think that that sort of length of time. Uh, but yeah, man, like outside of like learning an instrument um uh, this and like teaching and doing that sort of thing this is this is something of i'm incredibly proud to put that amount of time in i mean like i think i put i can't even get 23 days is ridiculous chris i just want all right mate, like, fucking out it's i mean <laughs> so you reenacting fucking castaway <laughs> with like an X, with an xbox or something that's absurd um, all right, mate, i mean like, I, 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 keep them down well but, but <laughs> I would put like a hundred hours into a Pokemon game, but that's like five days. Um, it's just, all right, it's tinged with pride. I will say my uh, my, my my lighthearted barbs there. Um, it's it's incredible. It's an incredible commitment. It re- it really really is. Uh, but yeah, man. Um, excited for the rest of the podcast, of course. Always remember, like when we were in sixth form, uh, and I don't think you were in the room at the time, but um, there was like a discussion going on about like like gamer tags what your gamer tag was at the time and mine was something like I can't remember what it was now but it was something like really cringe like do you know when people take gaming really seriously and they don't call that I didn't call myself like Chris Pure I give myself like this alias name something oh, right, okay. some, something psychotic I think it was um, oh dear <laughs> And I, I, like they were going around the room, like saying what the gamer tag was. So it was like, oh, mine's like Adam Smith ten, and it, you know, and they're going around. It's like, oh, mine's um, Christian Bailey eleven, and then like, as it comes around to me, it's like, oh, 
fucking old place down last night because mine's really, mine's really geeky and weird. Everyone's gonna think I'm fucking really weird. And obviously, it did come to me, and everyone was like, "Why is it that?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, well, it's that because like I play for this like Gears of War team, and they were like, what's that?' You know, and I was like, "Oh God, I'm just." They, everyone's going to think that I'm going to be. You're supposed to swallow yourself up. Yeah, into yeah. The ground. I yeah, mean, I, I in fairness, in fairness, a 16 year old me, mate, I played it off well, and I think like when you when you're that age, if you haven't if you haven't curated the ability to laugh at yourself by the time you're 16, 17, you, you're going to have a difficult time. It's really important to be able to laugh at yourself because if you can't, if you, if you like, when it came to me, I laughed it off and I made a joke about myself and everyone kind of laughed with me. If if I wasn't able to do that, I very much feel like I would have been in the corner being pointed at. One hundred percent, my man. One hundred percent. If it makes you feel better, my first email address was Sugar Junkie Sam Slipknot <laughs> at Hotmail. <laughs> my alliteration, man. Right. That, yeah, I'd, early early starting to the teaching career. Um, but really, sugar junkie, like I was on heroin or something, just really into chocolate bars. Amazing. It was just fucking embarrassing. Um, but yeah, I'd, we've all been there, haven't we, the teenage years? Speaking of fucking embarrassing, this podcast, uh, we are Fortnite Rock and Metal. <laughs> Fortnite Rock and Metal podcast. <laughs> Sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. Uh, uh, we're available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Uh, on our apart last from show, in our parents' pride. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on our last show, uh, we had album reviews from Palm Reader with Sleepless and Killiby Killed Reluctant Hero. Plus, we had another Chris Meat special, uh, and I sat down with Andy and Sam from Palm Reader. Uh, didn't actually sit down with them, obviously. Uh, we would never break those lockdown rules, of course. Um, but that was a really cool chat, um, and I'm still listening to that Palm Reader record. I, I, I really, really fell in love with that. Uh, this week, we're going to run through the news. We're going to talk about Architects playing Royal Albert Hall through live stream. Me and Sam both watch that, and then we'll discuss the runner-up in our greatest metal album of all time chat. You will obviously know what that is by the title of this episode, and we will finish up with a review of ACDC's new album, Pepper Up. Uh, we are on Twitter. If you are using that platform, please follow us, uh, Noise Podcast, Now Space is there. Uh, it'd be awesome for you if you could drop us a follow. Uh, me and Sam, we've just got it started running, and we are going to become uh, more active on the platform going forward from this point. So if you could follow us there, that would be awesome. And just before we get into the news, we can now talk about Power Festival taking place on the 1st of May 2021 in Cardiff, run by... Of course, our sponsor, Stereo Brand Records. Our tickets are available now at stereobrandrecords.co.uk. Appearing on the day so far, you've got Delair the Lair, uh, Bitch Falcon, Night Lives, Click Drip, Pet Cemetery, Two Dozen Hex Seed Pity, Salt the Stale, Treehouse, and there's more to be announced as well. Uh, Sam, this is the last episode that we will do before our Album of the Year episode, which we did want to get filmed with lockdown measures, etc., in place. That is not a possibility. However, oh. have you got your list sorted? I've got it down to six or seven, and there are final listening. There's a there's a final interview process that's yet to be taken place. You know, really sort of narrow it down to that final five. There's a couple of albums that I want to re-listen to with big earphones, cross-legged in the middle of my room, and just sort of really immerse myself yeah. into them. Um, because like it's important that, and also I've tried to go back and. Um, like listen to snippets of our podcasts and think, well, what did I think in the moment? Yeah. And what do I think now? And has that 
continued like obviously the albums that me and you rave about in the moment but they're three months later you kind of start you know forgetting about them a little bit and, and that, that sort of stuff yeah sometimes so that's important so it's 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 quite a it's a fun process but it is quite a meticulous one so i would say i have eight albums that could conceivably in my top five there's like three nailed on certainties i would say right. yeah i was gonna say how many concrete f- yeah and i'm filling in the last two currently right what what positions are concrete so far oh that's a very good question it's still a bit up in the air one is still up in the air actually ah one right, is still okay. up in the air interesting interesting um but i would say that maybe two is there Right. And maybe three or four is there. Um, but I need the, the top and bottom of that list really settled and finalised. The only positions in mind that are concrete is one and two. Okay. Um, other than that, but I had to submit my album. I, I had to submit my album of the year listings for like um, a magazine. Uh, that I write for uh, yeah. to, sort, to sort your same magazine sorry um, earlier today but I, I, I made that for them but obviously our album of the year show won't be recorded for another two weeks so my list that I wrote down for them could very much change over the next two weeks because you, you listen to an album you're like oh I forgot about this bit here that's so amazing how encouraging exactly. it was to write that bit and oh shit I forgot how massive this chorus was and oh actually you know I don't like this song as much as I remember. There's there's all those, you know, there's another two 100%. weeks. There's another two weeks of those. So, um, yeah, for me, the only uh, positions that are concrete is one and two. And even though I would say this year hasn't been of the quality of last year, last year was ridiculous um, for albums. I still think we've had a fucking really good year. I, I agree. I agree. I think pretty much since 2017, metal's been in really good shape in terms of new releases. Um, and I'm feeling pretty good about 2021 too, I would say. Well, our album of the year show comes in a fortnight, but let us get this show properly underway. Uh, Sam, Grammy nominations? Yes. Me and you have never been a proponent for the Grammys. I don't think I will ever be a proponent for the Grammys. I don't really believe in the award shows full stop, Sam, really. Um, okay, that's an interesting one. Yeah, no, I just don't, I just don't really think they serve much of a purpose. I just, you know, there's so much sub- subjectivity at play that it's how can you be objective on music? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like how obviously in the long run, objectively, you have to agree that bands are at least great. Um, the Who, you know, I have a fuck all interest in the Who, but objectively, how could I dispute that they're obviously a great band? But when it comes to like current, like of of this year, and you're deciding what the best album is of this year or the the best rock performance or the best metal performance, how can you object it? How can anyone objectively say which one's the best? Do you know, I just, I just don't, I think in music more so than any other form of media, I don't like award shows. I, I don't think they, they really fit a purpose. Um, 
on That's a grand. We, Sorry, we are doing we are doing one ourselves Chris. <laughs> yeah yeah no but, but when, what i mean yeah what i mean is though people will go into that and they will know it's a subjective list by chris and sam whereas the grammys are saying that we are and a the, bullshit the... one from jack <laughs> 14 folk albums in it toss pot Whereas the Grammys is saying, oh, we're the Grammys. We're the, the biggest um, like right, kind yeah, of, yeah. Like, music award body in the world. So we're saying that this is the best performance in metal in 2020. And I just don't see how, I, I, I don't feel like it's necessary. I, I think smaller scale award shows, like when you know, the metal, when metal Hammer used to do their award show and they'll have a, you know, they'll have a couple the heavy music awards where there'll be like a few performances and whoever wins best album, it's not going to change their career. And it, but you know, it's just a, it's a good evening where people who are interested in the same yeah. uh, form of music can get together in a room. There'll be a couple of live shows and, it, and it's taken a bit lightheartedly. Whereas when it gets to like serious award shows, like the Grammys where you know, it's considered, the be all and end all, especially when it gets to rock and metal, I, I don't see its importance. If you ask me, you can either keep every single award ceremony show in the world or bin them all. I would bin every single one of them. I don't mind the Metal Hammer and the Karang Awards and the Heavy Music Awards, um, but as a whole, award shows don't do it for me. But in terms of this actual news story, um, Nominations for the best metal performance: um, Body Count, Bum Rush, Underneath by Cold Orange, The In Between by In This Moment, Poppy's Blood Money, and a live version of Executioner's Axe uh, in brackets, Swinger the Axe by uh, Peritrip, which was taken from the, the band's live in Seattle um, on the twenty eighth of May, twenty eighteen album. Um, and immediately here. This is why I don't. This is why I don't like. You're annoyed already, aren't you? I can I'm tell. Annoyed, I'm annoyed already. Right now, <laughs> I love I love Peritrip. I, I adore Peritrip. Riley Gale, rest in peace. What an amazing frontman. But mate, Peritrip would not be in this list had Riley Gale have not tragically passed away. So why is why are they in the, the album came out in 2018? Why are they in the list? It's just. It's just, it's like when fucking Eagles of Death Metal were, were nominated for a Brit. And it's like, you don't fucking care about Eagles of Death Metal. You just want to put them in as best yeah. international band because of the tragedy that happened when they were playing that show in France. And I feel, I, I, I do feel like this is actually somewhat of a mockery to poetry because Executioner's Acts should have been put forward for best metal performance in 2018. If they were paying attention to metal, they would have known that Executioner's Act was one of the best out songs of that year. And they would have put, was it 2017 when that, when Nightmare Logic, I think Nightmare Logic came out in 2017. It doesn't matter, does it, it really? You might we, the, the point is, the point is, and, and obviously, if it did end up getting nominated for a Grammy in that year, then obviously I'll stand corrected and I'll look like a bit of a cock. But I, I don't believe, remember, I don't remember it being so. So, Executioner's Acts wasn't fucking nominated, to my knowledge, for a best metal performance when it came out on Nightmare Logic in 2017, 2018. So why is it now? It just, I, I feel like that is more of a mockery of Power Trip than anything else. 
Like, and I love Peritrip and I love Riley Gale, and they should have won some some Grammy at some point anyway because they're amazing. But to get to put them in this nomination list because Riley Gale tragically died, what good does that do? I don't understand that at all. And also, if we move away from Peritrip, if fucking Cold Orange don't win this Grammy, then what the fuck? Do not tell me that fucking in this moment or body count deserves to win a fucking award of a code orange, Sam. I just want, I just want to point out a couple of things. Uh, this will this will irritate you even more, and I'm I'm delighted to do it. To be honest, um, in 2017, um, Excuses Axe was not nominated. There it but is. Meg- Megadeth Dystopia won it because Dave Mustaine got cancer. Oh, and fucking they played, they played Master of Puppets, didn't they, as he was walking down? Yes, that was oh, 2017. Cause, yeah, because they haven't got a fucking clue about metal, and I don't know what they're doing. Um, Code Orange, uh, etc., were nominated in 2018, but they gave it to Mastodon, which I don't, I don't really mind. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, but after, after that, it didn't come up in those two years, so y- your point stands. But really, um, I've got no issue with um, award shows in a vacuum, but what I do oppose is replacing metal and analysts with what it seems like populist choices made by people that don't get into the genre as much as I'd like. Um, as I'd like. Now, I don't know the selection committee for the Grammys, and I don't know who picks the metal performance. Now, I'm assuming that they'll probably ask someone in the rock media, maybe, but I don't really think that they go far enough into that. And it's it's not really a reflection of... Um, of what's going on in metal anyway. I mean, the Grammys has made so many fucking errors with metal, really pretty much since the first one with the whole famous metallic Jethro Tull thing. Yeah. And and they've, since then, it's become what the Grammys is, which is like a populist PR movement to generate positive attention from liberal media on the Grammys. That That's all it is. And they don't care about metal. Metal doesn't move the needle for the people who watch the Grammys or the people that take part in the Grammys. It's a it's a year long fucking circle jerk over Beyonce usually, and it only really matters to people in pop music. Yeah, like there's a there's a famous story about um, Taylor Swift's not not the recent album, but I think it might have been the album before that, and she was incredibly upset that her album didn't get nominated for a Grammy, and it apparently motivated her to work incredibly hard on this next album, which has been nominated for Grammys and stuff. And also The Weeknd gave a statement like last week claiming that the Grammys are racist um, because, you know, his album isn't good enough and therefore that's racially motivated or something. Um, But can you imagine fucking Corey Taylor from Slipknot being like the Grammys are... um, uh, are picking on us and we, we're, we're really upset that we aren't nominated for a Grammy. I can't imagine fucking anyone gives a shit. The metal community does not need the Grammys. The Grammys does not need the metal community. It's just a pointless interaction between the two genres in the same way that an older parent would ask you about what music you're listening to just to get a conversation going at the dinner table despite the fact yeah. that they're not remotely interested in the answer that you give yeah. as long as you keep it short and sweet and get the fuck out of the way so somebody else can get involved and that that's what's going on here um let's just give those demonic people something so we can pretend that we care about all types of music and then get back to fucking kanye west or whatever and that that's just what it is i wouldn't oppose a formal real rock awards um, if if it could be done properly, where it's actually a poll taken from um, 
Metal Hammer and Louder Sound and NMA and all these and all these elements of alternative music media and us, obviously, and yeah. all that sort of stuff would um, would be taken into account. But but no, on a, on, a, on a real, we get sent albums early. We get asked for reviews. Why why can't we? Yeah. Um, so that that I wouldn't oppose that in the slightest. What I don't like is this version of it. Is I like the Grammys in relation to pop music because that's where it's focused. It gives you an insight in where the cultural zeitgeist is around at that moment, like the Oscars. Um, but the, a Grammy nomination is no more an indication of metal performance as is, uh, I don't even know what the equivalent is, as an Oscar nomination would be to a silent German movie. Like it's just yeah. never going to get never going to get the same sort of recognition. And that's just the way that it is. I've got no problem with award shows in general, um, but there needs to be a bespoke quantum metal rather than this weird PR version because it clearly, the the finger's not on the pulse remotely at all. Something slightly slightly more positive. Um, By the looks of it, in terms of best rock performance, um, the entire nomination list is female. Yes, uh, which you know, great. Yeah, I mean, none none of the nominees are anyone that I be- that are in mine and your interest. But great, yeah, cool. I'm I'm happy to see. I mean, whether that's whether it's a, a PR stunt or not, I, I, there's no way of me knowing that. I don't listen to any of the artists that have been put in that category. But fucking great for them, awesome. Um, but yeah, just to. to put a fine liner underneath my point award shows don't really do much for me and grand scale award shows like this i find um monotonous because they don't care about me so i don't care about them kind of thing um i like the cold orange have been nominated i you know i, I do and and i even with Peritrip in there with with the tragedy that they've been through and how much i, how much I love Peritrip. I'd, I'd like it to go to Code Orange um, because Peritrip are in there solely because Riley Gale tragically passed away. Uh, they should have been in there for a nomination in 2017 for that. Not two years later. No, it makes the Grammys look like nice people. I just, that just, for me, I find that offensive. I, I, genuinely, I genuinely do. And I think it does absolutely nothing for Peritrip and it does nothing for the metal community. Um, so, so fuck the Grammys. <laughs> it's basically what I'm saying. Um, but I will, uh, you know, I will have a close eye, and I will see who, who wins that. But you know, let's be honest. Best metal performance at the Grammys isn't, isn't going to make any news outside of where I would go to look for it on the Grammys Twitter feed. There'll probably be a small little mention. Oh, and by the way, X Y Z won at best metal performance. Moving on, Taylor Swift was shown in a nice red dress. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Gonna, that, that's exactly what it's going to go like. Um, so yeah, um, we are going to move on. Unless there was anything else you wanted to add. Sorry on that. Uh, no, I um, not really. I mean, they gave they gave best rock performance to Beyonce in 2017. Hilarious, featuring Hilarious. Featuring, featuring Jack White. So um, you know, maybe maybe it's maybe it's um, maybe it's like a real genuine attempt at hardcore analysis of rock music, but it would be the first time. We are going to move on, Sam. Um, Lars Ulrich uh, was talking on 
an interview and he mentioned that uh, Phil Tell saved Metallica. Did you see this? Right. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. Um, you know, you watched that Some Kind of Monster documentary and... Yep, several times. When... Uh, and for those who aren't aware, uh, Phil is the uh, therapist that the band bring in to kind of help them uh, through this really difficult period the band are going through. And, you know, there is that point where he's like kind of suggesting lyrics and stuff. <laughs> and, it, you know, and he was he was very much like, because of the critical and fan reception that Saintanga got, it was very much like the easy time for him to say, well, it was because fucking dad, Phil, trying to put trying to put his opinion on lyrics and, and what and sounds of the album and stuff. So he was kind of like ridiculed by Metallica fans. But Lars Ulrich has, has really had his kind of had his back in, in this interview. And I'll, I'll just pick out um, I'll, I'll just pick out a, a quote here. Um, it was, it, this is Lars Ulrich here. It was a very transitional experimental time. We'd been a band for 20 years and we realised we'd never had a fucking conversation about how we're feeling and what being in Metallica is doing to everybody. It was just this fucking machine. And then uh, James Hetfield had to go away with some of his substance issues and then that opened up this whole new thing. And it was a difficult time with Phil. And as easy of a target as he is to make fun of, whenever I get asked about it now, I find myself defending him. He did save the fucking band. I think you and I wouldn't be sitting here talking to each other if it wasn't for him. Sam, obviously you're, you know, a very reasonable person. You're able to step back and take a look at, Thank you. Take, take a look at the, the grander scheme of things. Did you have any kind of ill feeling towards Phil upon the ending of some kind of monster? Oh, I wouldn't say I had ill feeling towards him. He, he, he did feel kind of redundant after a while. Yeah. So I, 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 when I first watched the Some Kind of Monster stuff, he's really useful to the band. You can see in the first like hour, in the way that he's literally like forcing them to have conversations with each other and try and value each other's feelings and things like that. Um, but then after that, they stop using him as a therapist, and he just sort of hangs around. Yeah. For like six months, there's a there's a scene where they're discussing like album artwork i think or like the the title of the album and lars is talking about like frantic being he wants frantic to be the title of the album and and the, the record company's like now nah, st anger's a stronger title and phil's just there eating a sandwich in the corner <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's like what the fuck are you here for like that the the, the 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 problem that i had with it is that when he stopped being a therapist and started seeing himself as a living member of the band yeah the side the management company they say that don't they like he's fucking acting like a member of the band yeah, like you were brought in to have essentially um, directed marriage therapy between James and Lars, who had only ever communicated while drunkenly shouting at each other, right? Once that purpose had stopped served, i.e. James going into fucking rehab and not even being in the room, and then coming back and taking on the therapy he'd learned from rehab, i.e. not Phil Tell. Phil Tell should have stayed at home until called, but... If the band had him on a retainer, then he's well within his right to just sort of hang around and help with the communication. This is also a band that was having a camera crew following them around at every every minute that they were recording together. So they were clearly becoming accustomed to an entourage. Um I would I I would say that I don't think if Lars if Lars thought that Phil was a mistake, he'd have said that he was a mistake. Because yeah. he said that it was a mistake to 
record on justice the way it was recorded. He said it was a mistake to do the drum sound on St. Anne's. He's been he's fairly honest after the fact about Metallica's decision making. Um, and he's he's rich enough and successful enough not to give a shit anyway. Like it's just we're Metallica, this is what we did, this worked, this didn't. Um so if he feels that way, then it's born in the fact that they probably now communicate better as a band because of the lessons that Phil helped put in place. Um, but the documentary doesn't paint um, Phil Tell in a good light after about an hour and a half, and he, he becomes like a spare part, and he clearly becomes complacent within his role within the organisation, to the point that it's grating for Metallica fans, including myself. Although even I, who dislikes him after 90 minutes, has to admit that... He has his uses he does. and benefits to the band because the band were absolutely indisputably at an utter logjam in terms of the way that they communicated to each other, um, which led to Jason Newstead quitting the band because James Hetfield couldn't tolerate the idea that Jason Newstead was having other bands like it was like Metallica or like his possessive wife. And then they never communicate with each other and they spent 15 years just sharing each other about the mixing quality and stuff. It was, it was clear that they needed some, someone to help with communicating and also bands that go on hiatuses and don't talk to each other for 15 years, aren't brave enough to make the, to make the steps that Metallica made and then recorded them and then released them. Yeah. Like, is it fair to say that maybe system of a down need Phil tell? Fucking hell. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, it fucking absolutely could be. And there are several bands that are also in this issue because we we don't hear anything and all of a sudden it just like they just blow up and break up and stuff. Because being in a band is really hard. And being in a band as big as Metallica, I can't even imagine the level of stress and expectation and stuff that you have to just consistently be okay with. So yeah, I think Phil Tell served a purpose and definitely helped them talk to each other but he doesn't come out well in that documentary and he absolutely becomes too comfortable. Absolutely. But so many people did look at that documentary. Bob Rock thinks he's the fifth member of the band. Yeah, he does. Uh, Phil Tell thinks he's involved. Too many people with their fingers in Metallica were starting to think of themselves as additional members when they're just piggybacking off four of the greatest musicians of the 21st century of the 20th century. And that's just what it is. But that happens in every band absolutely happens in every band every successful band anyway so it, it sort of goes with it but yeah i can accept i can accept Lars saying that piggybacking off this news as well was that metallica have been writing quite seriously um it kind of makes sense well doesn't it some during this period if you're a fucking creative kind of minefield such as is metallica it makes sense that even you usually metallica albums are much further spread out than Obviously, Hardwired Substrate came out in 2016. Um, and, you know, you'd, usually Metallica albums, you're waiting about eight years between at this point in their career anyway. But if they were going to release one last final album, recording it during this period would make the most sense, right? Because it's all this free time. What else are they time. doing? Yeah. What else are they doing? It's all, they this, doing? it's all this free time they'll never get again. There's so much political unrest across the world, not just we, not just living through a pandemic, but um, in terms of racially as well, of course, with Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. So what a time 
for Metallica to write an album. So obviously we don't know if that was going to manifest itself into an album within the next year or so, but I would be willing to bet that we'll be listening to new Metallica music before 2022. And when Hardwired first came out, I think me and you both said that this could be the last, if not the last but one. And I do feel like the next Metallica album, I do believe there will be one more after reading this. I do believe the next Metallica album would be the last. See, I disagree. I think, I think, I think it's, although I had a caveat, I think I agree with you that this might be the last heavy metal Metallica album. But couldn't you, couldn't you see like a James Hetfield um, tuned down load-esque Metallica album in like a decade? Because I could. Don't sorry, load bangs. No, I mean, load is great. Um, would I want it though? Yes, come on. Don't be like that. Ev, 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 you you want you want you want the, the 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 bands you love to produce material. Why why stop it? Isn't it worth if 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 Metallica bring out twelve songs and one's great, it's worth it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't agree with that. What? <laughs> what? I don't I agree. Want, with I, that. I want you know what I want from James Hetfield him to stop writing riffs. Chris, you're a heathen. <laughs> no, I want Metallica at full throttle, or I don't want them at all. What? And that, not and not not Meta- not Metallica. That's it has to, it has to be a hundred percent or nothing. You don't. Well, no, but what, I don't. I, I use realism, and I know that Hardwired is probably a hundred percent of what Metallica are capable of at this point. But in ten years' time, I don't want an acoustic James Hetfield album with Lars drumming on a fucking box in the background. Fuck that. <laughs> No, I don't mean that exactly. I'm not saying that they're doing like an acoustic album. I just mean that it'll be Metallica, but it'll be not as thrashy. But it'll reflect who they are, which will be like a by that point probably a, a hard rock female. Mate, we were about to discuss AC, ACDC. Mate, one one of the lead writers on this has died 18 months ago. <laughs> like, yeah, no, yeah, no. But the, as we all get to that album, they sound exactly the same still, though. It's not difficult for ACD to say like ACDC. It's a bit more difficult for Lars to buy Blackened when he should be collecting his bus pass. <laughs> yeah, no, but you're talking about Met- Metallica, like James Hetfield, like d- doing nothing, doing 12 no, hours no, and no. nothing else matters. Like, no, I, I, no, I'm not. No, that. I'm not. You said, <laughs> you said, fuel, no, hear me out. Load, load, but turn down. Yeah, so like it would be like rock music. Like they'd play songs that sound like, they'd write songs that sound like King Nothing. Or like bleeding me or something, where it's it's not difficult for them to play bleeding me. No, and bleeding me is like, amazing. Yeah, but it'd be stuff like that. I'm not. I just mean like they'd, they'd take out the thrashy, fast-paced element. I imagine, and it would go to like a middle, mid-tempo type. Oh, I don't stuff. know whether I'd want it, sir. There's like, like mid-tempo Metallica songs that you enjoy. There is, yeah, but like there's never done. They've never done a twelve-song album of it. Because I don't think that I don't, I'm not sure. Whether, I'm not sure whether they could write twelve good mid great mid tempo songs. Well, to be fair, they never have, even on the Black Album. But it, it, it's still, it's still good. I, as far as I'm concerned, um, New Metallica means that they're the band is still working. They're still creative. They're still figuring out their sound. They're still putting music out there. And I want James Hetfield to bring out music until he cannot, because it's James Hetfield. And 
80% of James Hetfield is better than 100% of a lot of other people. Okay, can and, I put and this I would take that. Can I, can I put yes, this um, yeah. here? Are you glad that Slipknot did We Are Not Your Kind? Yeah, I am. Purely for unsainted. Purely for unsainted. Because you, no, you did it's, 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 No, because it's not great. It's, it's, not, it's not an amazing album. I'm just happy it's there. Yeah, because when, when we spoke here, about it, man, it's very different. No, no. When when we spoke about it before, you, you I remember we were reviewing the Slipknot album. And I hope you don't think I'm like coming at you here. I'm just like, no, I'm no, just no, deba- debating. No, I'm debating because it's an interesting debate. Of course. Um, when, when we reviewed the Slipknot album before, you were quite cold to it. Yeah, and, and, and that's considering the conversation that we're having now. We're, we're, and I think this is where me and you do differ. You, for you, it's like if we can get one last great Metallica out song, then it's okay if it's on an album that's a five out of ten because we've got that one great song. Whereas for me, it's like, well, if there's 11 fives out of five out of tens, that I'd really rather it just the album just doesn't exist because I don't. I don't want to know that they did 11 five out of 10 songs, but there was this, there was this one really good one. For me, that, that, that is more damaging to a band's reputation than anything else. Like, if Saint Tanga was Metallica's last album, I'd be fucking gutted. Like, if Hardwired is, is, was to be their last ever album, I'd absolutely take that, because I think that's a good, solid metal album with some real great highlights. If it was fucking, imagine if it was Saint Tanga. Imagine if Saint Tanga was Metallica's last album. You'd think, fucking hell. What the fuck? I can't even finish on this. It doesn't you know matter, I mean? though. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, I, I understand your point. I just disagree with you entirely. I don't think it matters. Um, there is no <laughs> album that. But I just. I just. <laughs> there is, I don't mean that to be as demeaning as it sounded. I promise. <laughs> um, there is no album that Metallica could release that would reduce their reputation. There's no album that comes out in 2021 that makes Master of Puppets sound worse. Or ride the lightning, or Justice for All, or the Black Album. Of course, those, those, those are set in time. They're concrete. Metallica will be massive, regardless if they release fucking. Like I said to you, Metallica will be massive if James Hetfield farts over jazz music for the next twelve songs. (laughs) That's all that it doesn't make a scrap of difference. I brought out Lulu, and it's shocking, and it doesn't make a difference. (laughs) The 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 real thing is that you have to look beyond every band as this perfect narrative that must conclude positively. A band's career is not a film. It doesn't need oh, of course, a, of course. a happy end. Happy ending. I'm saying, what do and, I want? Not what I think should happen. I'm talking about what I specifically want. I know that, of course, several bands will end on a bad note. Of that is the nature of the beast. But for what, what me, what I personally want is for them to end on Hardwired. Or if there is going to be one more album, fine. But but, but then leave it there. I, do, I don't want them to, Metallica's last me, last album to be this kind of halfway. So we physically are incapable of playing metal music now. So we're, do we, we're going to do this like middle of the road rock music because it will get us by. I, 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 that's, I personally don't want that. But I, I know. I mean, look at fucking Green Day. Green Day are like my all-time favourite band and they've been absolutely fucking shit for 11 years now. You know, but me, specific, me personally, I'd rather Green Day have just stopped after 21st Century Breakdown. Because for me, in my opinion, that's their last good album. The, last, the, the, four, the five albums that follow 21st Century Breakdown have been fucking shit. It's, just for, it's, it's for me personally. I mean, Green, Green Day, is, it's now got to the point where they've review, we've released so many more bad albums than they've ever done good albums <laughs> yeah, at this point. Yeah. Like, the, the exceptions are the good ones in, in Green Day's case. But, man... <laughs> 
Metallica are not going to be defined by their last album and no one's going to be like, their last musical contribution was X. They're going to play fucking Enter Sandman in front of 90,000 people. Everyone's going to cry and they're going to disappear. That's just what's going to happen. But I, I like great musicians. I like great musicians writing stuff because it shows they're still creative. It warms my heart. And even if it's not good, I don't give a fuck. Metallica's in it. Metallica's eternal. And so, 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 so many bands. And if I don't like it, I don't have to listen to it. But um, bands just aren't built that way. Bands aren't built to look at an album and think that was good. We'll end it there. That just doesn't doesn't work that way. And from like what I want perspective, there's the album in in a nutshell would be disappointing. But even if the album's good, I'm not going to listen to it more than I just for all. Like it just isn't gonna it isn't gonna it isn't gonna sway the the apple cart anyway. And how good would um, the great chapter have to be for me to listen to it more than Iowa? It'd have to be like the best album of the 21st century because that was what Iowa nearly was. Um, and that's just how it is. Like, don't bring, don't criticize a band or don't like bring a band down because their high points were so high. You know, they, they don't have to match that intensity all the time because it's impossible to just be glad that the highs exist. And take take the sort of lumps ever. It, it it's like do what what Bruce Springsteen's album. I really enjoyed it. Is, is it born to run? No. Is anything? No. But I'm I'm glad that he's writing songs that I think some of them are really really good. And that's the same with Metallica. They're never going to write Battery again. But that's like saying, oh, the moment you've wrote your best album, you should just stop writing albums altogether because you're never going to compete with your best work. I think that's a reductive way to look at it. And I'm just glad that good musicians produce good music, which means that tours happen and fans can interact with their, their stuff. You know what I mean? Like if ACDC stopped releasing albums after 1991, which for me was the last time they wrote an incredibly good album, not that Pair Up is bad, but obviously we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but if they stopped writing songs for 20 years, their, their fans would be like, can we at least have like, some new ICDC, please, because it's been 20 years and this is getting weird. And it's perfectly fine for them to do that. I don't know, man. I just think uh, it's a very, you're looking at it from like a very sort of like, uh, from a very sort of head centered, I don't know, there's like an emotional. It's completely subjective. Because I'm saying what, what, I, what I personally want. Now, now that we, we reviewed Lamb of God album this year. I really liked it. I said, that this isn't just best case scenario for current Lamb of God. I think this is a really, really great metal album, full stop. But there's been loads of times where me and you reviewed a band and I've said, for the position they're in, this is the best case scenario. And that's perfectly fine. But as, a, as subjectively for me, I would rather, when bands are coming towards quite, you know, Lamb of God are in like their mid 40s to early 50s so they're, obviously they're not necessarily right at the end yet but as a general uh, con- ruling for, for me that I would choose when bands are quite clearly coming towards the end where it's like okay we're like mid to late 50s or or you know in Green Day's case where it's quite fucking evident that our best material has been written for me if you gave me the option of they never do an, another album or they do another two or three albums that are at best six out of ten with with like one eight out of ten song on them. I would rather them not. I I, I personally would rather them not. We'll say it again. 
Look at the last decade of Green Day music. It has been terrible. I would, I would give anything for Green Day to have just stopped after 21st Century Breakdown. <laughs> and, and, that, and, you know, on the albums that they've released since then, there has been a couple of good songs, but those couple of good songs do not convince me that those five albums need to exist. I'm getting to the point where you're like, you can have Green Day's entire discography or no Green Day ever. And I think I'd lean towards no Green Day ever. I'll be like, all right, I'll (laughs) never listen to Basket Case for the rest of... I'll I'll just forget Basket Case exists and American Idiot and stuff like that. And I don't have to have listened to anything afterwards. I think that's a fair swap. Sometimes... I uh, use I, I try and create parallels between wrestling and music, and it doesn't work. But in this case, dude, the Undertaker man, like he's uh, he's just retired. Like that like, is di- that is different no, though. No, that no, is different. Right, Athletics right, are very different. No, 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 dude, dude, just hang on a second. Right. <laughs> okay, hang, okay, hang on a second. Right, the Undertaker, right. There's literally the last Royal documentary, which is one of the, the best documentaries I, I've seen. Full stop. Not just about pro wrestling, like seeing is fucking incredible. You know, he's literally sitting there saying, oh, "I've left it. I've I've gone too late. I have. Oh, you know, I, I I can fucking. He's what? Yeah, he's not. He doesn't. I'm paraphrasing, but at one point in one of the episodes of the of the interview, he's basically saying, "Bro, I can't fucking move in the ring anymore, and I should have fucking gone. I should have gone years ago." And I and when he left his hat in the ring and he did that final. Exit like four years ago. Uh, I mean, I mean, yes, but theoretically, I personally should have gone before then. Um, but at this point, documentary, he's saying like, I, I, I can't move now, but like, I can't leave now because that last performance was really, really bad, and I refuse to leave on a bad note. So I've got to keep going until I'm at peace with it, until I get this one last good performance. And you know, that led that mentality, and obviously I adore the Undertaker, but that mentality led to some like really, really shit, terrible, ma- terrible matches that you're yeah, just like, yeah. fuck man, like the Undertaker can't move anymore. He's like 56 in there. Um, yeah, it's like, it was like watching Michael Jordan on the Wizards. And it was like, you already ended your career in the perfect way. Yeah. Alre- already. You don't need to be 38, averaging 25 a game, which is great, but you're never, you're not Michael Jordan the way you were in 1998 with the Bulls. You already did this. That, now, I, I, I understand that concept. No, no, the, the, obviously the parallel between that and music is difficult to draw because obviously Metallica aren't there saying, oh, fucking hell, I can, I can barely hold a guitar anymore. No, but he's fighting yeah. Lars Ulrich around a drum kit. <laughs> yeah, so the, James Hetfield's not there with his hands shaking, holding the guitar, doing his best to pull out one riff. But what, what I do mean is, again, this is completely subjective. I personally would choose, if you said to me, this next Metallica album that comes out in 2022, I've heard it, you know, they, they, they sent me like an early listening to me. Um, there's one good, there's one really good song on it. And the rest, the rest is five out of ten, you know. Uh, I, I would there's say... a song on it called Spit Out the Werther's Original. It's really good. <laughs> and then you said... But you've got the. They've decided to leave it to you whether they release it or not. I'll ask him to just keep it in the fucking keep it in the drawer. Me and you said, and God, we do need to move off this because of time. But and I wasn't expecting this discussion to go to such length of this, mate. Me, and you have talked about the fact that System of a Down haven't released an album for fifteen years. But then, on, as a caveat to, we've also said, but then hang on. When you look at System of a Down's fucking discography, you've got self-titled. Toxicity, hypnotize, yep. and mesmerize. Well, fuck me. What a fucking yeah. If we never get another System of a Down album, then 
a fucking sound because they've released four amazing albums and what an amazing discography. Yeah, and then the new two songs came out and we loved them and it's great that they're back and they're, they're not as good as the stuff on Toxicity but we're just glad that it exists. Yeah, no, but it's and not a disgrace to them, is it? Oh! It's not a disgrace to them, is it? Like, it's oh, not, that, is, that is a statement. No, those two songs, they're good songs, aren't they? So they're not a disgrace. Yes, if System of a Down... I think, man, you're about to fight. If System of a Down... If System of a Down know that they're still capable of producing great material, then, then fucking great... Then sound, yes, do another album. But if there's even the, 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 um, a, the smallest modicum of an idea that they might have to phone it in for a little bit because, oh, well, we did say we'd do another album. Who did they know that in the moment? It's been 15 years. Well, the, the, right, I mean, you're telling me that the fucking three weeks into writing and demo session, System of Dem wouldn't be able to pick up whether they're onto something or not, please. Come on. They would definitely no, but like, like you, you, You've got to... You've got, you've got, to, you, it's your own material. You're not, you're so connected to it. You're in the thing. You don't, no, like, no artist is like painting something and just nearly done and then just steps back and thinks, ah, it's shit. Like, it just, <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, oh, mate, they do. Come on. No, not specifically artists. Not specifically artists, but in music, dude, come on. I think that they wouldn't release it. Like bands like Metallica and that, the big bands wouldn't release it if they thought it was bad. All right, here's the compromise. How about this? How about this? I think I've, I think I've got it. God. Right. Metallica and all these massive bands have fan clubs that you log in on, right? And if you're a big fan, you pay for a, a per month subscription and then you get these like albums that they record that aren't good enough to release or you know in their own heads and then if you're a massive metallic fan like me you log in you listen to the shit and then it doesn't get released so people like you can just pretend that they've written five albums in their entire career <laughs> you brick and and that's and that that's it like every band ever's perfect in your head and that's, <laughs> Fuck it. that's off, Sam. you idolize, idolize this perfection imagery of, of bands and stuff right no one can make mistakes Fucking you and... driving bands into the fucking ground because you want to, you fucking, James, if you're 70 and you fucking busting the door up and pointing the guitar and saying, write another one. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm like the Steve Jobs of Metallica albums. <laughs> yeah. That's what I want to do is just keep throwing Master of Puppets vinyls inside a cold cell. James Fuck Hetfield you know. just sort of tied up into a corner. It's like, doesn't sound like the thing that should not be to me, James. It's like I'm tired. <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> If I'm a massive Metallica fan, I will log in every month and they'll be like, oh, they've written a new song and I'll listen to it and I'll love it because I'm a big Metallica fan and I'm, and I'm capable and mature enough to accept change and decline, unlike you. And you... You pretentious little twat. <laughs> and you don't have to access that. Isn't that perfect, though? Because then it becomes like unreleased material that fans can access. Yeah. If it's like... And they don't release it. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, and I can hear the fourteen sisters with a albums where they argue halfway through. <laughs> Just all the all the recordings where it's like, I can't believe you tweeted that, and it's like, that's just interrupting the second verse every single time. They're we killing people on the streets, John. <laughs> they deserved it. Um, we need to we need to talk about something else, Chris. We did, really we... I'm going to turn up at your house in the next ten minutes. <laughs> Do you know what, mate? In all the time I've known you, I think I think this is the first time we've ever been so far away from each other on something. Yeah, in terms I, I of think, like opinion, and I love it. It's I think amazing. So. Do, 
you you knock down the linear therapy, so you would. You'd be like, oh, what the fuck's the point? So if it's straight. <laughs> oh, mate, will you? And you fucking bring Michael Jackson back up out the fucking grave, you would. Oh, if we if we prop him up, you know, you can probably get a speaker <laughs> through and get him to do something with his mouth if you move it in the right direction. Fucking weirdo. I've got no issue with that whatsoever. Holograms, fucking do it. Let's bring Tupac back while we're at it. Oh, Let's you're talk a about. Um... Oh, yeah, fucking hell. Right, that's no, I, I don't know. No, it's, I, I'm joking. I think that's, that's another, that's really another episode. That's another episode entirely. Um, no, you know what, dude? In all the time I've known you, I think, I think that's the furthest apart that we've ever been on something. I absolutely love it. Uh, although we are going to move on because fuck me. Um, I'll tell you what, if you, if you ever make a mistake on the podcast, I'm just be like, we should just stop it now. And never do another podcast because we've already perfected it. And do you know what I mean? Like, why end on a bad note? Is this you, you trying to I mean? have the last word, Sam? Because you know I will carry on. <laughs> no, no, no it's okay. I, I take take it, take it. I'm going to be the bigger man. I'm going to be the bigger man, and we'll move on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sam, Architects Royal Albert Hall. Uh, they yes. played uh, on November 21st. Uh, we spoke about uh, the fact that they were playing Royal Albert Hall and how buzzing we were about it. Um, a few weeks ago when we were talking about animals, I bought, I bought a ticket for it uh, and I was, you know, I, I, I was sitting there in my room and I was like, right, okay, fucking Sam. Well, I sat dinner night, I got, you know, I've got my PS5 here, you know, fucking architects are playing live, showing the background as well, you know, I'll turn around and have a look. And then as it started, and I saw Sam Carter walking into like the empty floor, <laughs> the empty floor with the mic stand to do nihilist. I turned my PS4 immediately off, and I was a PS5, sorry, immediately off, and I was like, right, no, I'm going to need to pay attention to every single moment of this. Um, and Sam, what an amazing! Uh, I'm not sure how many live streams you've seen. I've uh, uh, live stream gigs. I've seen a fair few. This is by yeah. far the best that I've seen. This was absolutely fucking incredible. Um, metal event of the year. Yeah, easy, mate, for me. Easy. Without, without, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, I agree. Um, the moment where he walks on and immediately gets into Nihilist is spine tingling, goosebumps raising the lot. Um, I actually... I actually... This is going to sound really strange, but no comparison because I've never played Royal Albert Hall in front of a, in front of a full crowd, which I think would be obviously superb. But I actually enjoyed it more because it was empty. It gave yeah. this... Um, real the, the, the emptiness and the silence in between made the song sound more impactful to me and it felt like they were playing in like a cathedral yeah. or a church or something on top of it just being a fucking wonderful victory for a great metal band to play in the Royal Albert Hall where they have the proms and some of the and some of the greatest artists of our of our, of our last century have played at the Royal Albert Hall acoustic sets and classical performances and all this sort of stuff to have a band like architects performing there and also perform so well, I think is brilliant. Um, my second point of view is the one that I discussed with you, um, over WhatsApp in the, in the wake of watching it. Andy Coppin needs to put architects on a headline bill with bring with horizon, or if it's a shared one or fit them in somewhere because they are leading the line for British metal. And, doing a wonderful job with it and are clearly big enough, clearly talented enough and clearly have the repertoire to make a, a massive performance out of, de- out of download and fuck the denim wearing 
this isn't as good as 1986 bullshit crowd that will be retired and buying Metallica's acoustic album in the next 15 years. Fucking lot. And just push towards what is clearly one of the two or three best metal, modern metal bands in the world alongside Parkway Drive and Bring Me The Horizon and accept that these guys are, the, are one of the new kings of our, of our genre because they absolutely are. I'm not as big of an Architects fan as you. Um, I actually think, I actually really enjoy this version of Architects. I think, I don't know about how you feel, but I think all their gods have abandoned us, holy hell. And this new album will be like a trio of like an era of Architects and I think that will be the best version of them. I would take the modern architects over previous stuff and, and things like that. Um, but so I'm, I'm, I'm naturally gravitated towards this new material as well, but I just think it's superb. I just think that they're, they're utterly brilliant, utterly brilliant. I think Sam Carter is one of the best vocalists in metal. And if this comes across magnificently here, I think this out, Al- this Albert Hall show is one of the best things I've seen in a long time. One of the best things I've seen a metal band ever do. This is like Metallica doing S&M style achievements for me. Um, I just think it's utterly brilliant and architects are ready. It is time. Put these guys in a headline for download. Can you imagine if they'd have had a fucking symphony with them? That could have perfectly done it. I mean, it would have absolutely done it. I mean, songs like Hereafter, uh, Modern Misery and Raw Beggars with a symphony behind them would have just been... Gone with the wind. Gone with the wind, man. Fucking hell. With an orchestra. God. God. I I thought... With an orchestra. I thought it was just astonishingly brilliant. And it was... You know, Architecture now, their their album that comes out next year in February, it's going to be their ninth album. You know, they're not a young young band. They have fucking slaved away at this. And to see them grow into this absolute fucking monster is, has just been really, really rewarding for me because I've been on the bandwagon since for like nearly 10 years now. So I thought that this was the perfect example of where architects currently are. I think that they absolutely should be subheadlining to bring me a download. It's absurd to me that it hasn't been booked yet. You know, I just cannot believe that the dice hasn't been rolled you know again we'll keep our fingers crossed for next year but it's one of those things that every year it doesn't happen it seems to become more likely that it will never happen and you said before especially in terms of bring me if glastonbury get there first andy coffin's gonna have egg on his face especially considering the new ep that bring me did it was it was so sent to the rain crying out to be played on download or right yeah. in the leads what the fuck yeah. is going on um but bringing it back to architects mate how amazing did Sam Carter's voice sound in this show? Like, I, I, I can't. I was actually blown away. I, obviously, he's amazing. Vocalist. I've seen Architects four or five times. Always brilliant. Amazing. Never never question. Mate, his voice in this, I couldn't believe it. It was amazing. Unreal. Unreal. It was the, it was the clean vocals that did it for me. Unbelievable. Um, Unbelievable. The, the, is it the, the clarity? And actually, the, the, again, that it was highlighted by the lack of crowd because it was able to cut clearly through. Um, <clears throat> but on top of that, um, the, ar- the architects' musicians do not get enough credit. Oh my word! Yeah. Um, the, their their guitar sound and and tone, gutturally heavy. Their drummer is fucking incredible. Dancer. Yeah. Um, just absolutely marvelous. And like we said before, when Holy Hell came out, which is you know, if not one of the metal album of the decade 
um, that it's just it's just so so easy to root for them and, and to wish them to do well. And they have taken this tragedy and to use it as a catalyst into this this latter day success that they're beginning to have and begin to be recognised for. And I think that is absolutely fantastic. And I am delighted for them. Um, Architects are one of the um, premier bands of this generation in alternative music. And I am delighted that they are beginning to actually utilize that for their own benefit. And they're able to, to turn that into these sort of events. Imagine, imagine um, we say this a lot, but imagine saying in 2015 that Architects play Royal Albert Hall. I know, man. I know. Royal Albert Hall. Like people, people, it, <laughs> I can't, I can't express how wonderful that is. Like that people would pay to hear Mozart in Royal Albert Hall and now seeing Architects play there. I just think it's, it's utterly brilliant for metal to be recognised as that, and architects are carrying the banner for that, and they deserve to be recognised by massive slots and shows at some of the biggest festivals in the country. They absolutely deserve it. When we were talking about <clears throat> the announcement, I talked about in I talked about the trailer, and that Dan Searle had said that "Lost Forever, Lost Together," all our gods have abandoned us, and how the hell they're seen very much as a trio. As a trio, as a chapter of the band's story, and that now, for those that wish to exist in February, is the start of the next chapter. Sam, they played Animals, Discourse is Dead, and Dead Butterflies from the new album. And yes, I think they all sounded amazing. And my yes. Dead, Dead Butterflies was my favorite song of the night. I agree. Some of the, the the new music sounded incredible and terrific. And also, if you're worried at all that Architects were going in a more commercial platform, those those trio of songs show that they're very much going to blend the heaviness that they're known for with this maturing side. They've mastered this ability um, to balance um, hardcore metalcore with huge swinging choruses in a way that parkway haven't done in a way that bring me do where it's a perfect coalescence of those two factors the and they just sound utterly brilliant there's a there's a chance that they've done the impossible which is follow up holy hell with another great great album um which i really didn't think they'd be able to do without like changing their sound um, because of the circumstances, it was just the perfect meshing of all this sort of stuff. But if if the new album is brilliant, then man, this is like three consecutive generational, generationally great albums, and that puts them in a different rank in the, really the history of great metal bands. Really for me. Just before we we move on, because again, I'm I'm concerned of time. You mentioned something like that. I think is really important there, like. The, the ability to move on to the next thing and retain that level of aggression and musical animosity that you previously possessed as well is something that Parkway Drive have done well. But by the sounds of those three, so obviously we already, we've already heard animals, but in, in, in regards to Discourses Dead Animals and Dead Butterflies, it sounds like Architects have done it brilliantly, doesn't it? Yeah, it it, re- it really does. They've it's 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 such an innate and difficult skill to make your music sound different and also still 
great. They've managed to write, retain the blueprint of great architects music over the last two albums, but also extend it and stretch it out. Now, obviously, I only heard them on that stream, so I'd love to, I'd love to, to wait for the new album and really de- delve into it. Obviously, but it just sounds like they've they've found this, um, this style and this vein of music writing that appears to be just bringing out song after song after song. They're becoming like a, a conveyor belt of great metal um, over the last couple of years. And the, the, the quality from the last two albums and the, the, what's, what's coming up is, is going to be, it's going to be up there with some of the greatest two or three album runs in metal ever. Uh, we, we, if this next album's great, like if this next album is like a nine out of 10, then you have to start talking about whether it's whether all our all our gods, holy hell, and the new album, which is what is it for those who exist, for those who wish um, to exist, those who wish to exist. That trio would be put up with Slipknot's first three, Ride the Lightning, um, Master of Puppets, and, and Just for All, um, the While She Sleeps run that included You Are We, um, Park uh, um, Parkway Drive from sort of Deep Blue onwards, and malevolence and pantera and all and all these great trios of of of, of creative works uh, architects is going to be near the top of that list and that is that is fantastic considering the the tragedy and and, and obstacles they've had to face to get to that point i'm so fucking excited for for those who wish to exist there's usually when someone says are oh, you the the first you know, the first time you hear this song is going to be live. You think, oh, did you have to? I'd rather, I'd rather hear the studio version first rather than just hearing it through someone's shitty camera phone live. Actually, this, I'm now, I, I can't wait to hear the studio version of Dead Butterflies because it just sounded beautiful, massive. Just, oh, I, I'm, I'll text one of my favourite bands. I got legit emotional at points watching that show because of, I could tell how much it meant to them. I thought it was just done so brilliantly. There's nothing about the band. There's barely anything about the band that I dislike. That show, Royal Albert Hall, was incredible. And I think it's the catalyst to the next stage of their career, which I could not be more excited about. Completely agree. Sam, uh, we've got to the point of the show where... My God, Sam, it's going to be a long episode, isn't it, this... (laughs) Just, I'm just talking about the next two things we've got to talk about. We've got to the point in the show, Sam, where we are going to talk about the second greatest metal album of all time. It is the runner-up in our list that has stretched over a year. We've been doing this list for, and I'm very proud of you and uh, of us as, in terms of what, what we've committed and what we've been able to produce whilst going through this list in terms of the amount of detail uh obviously if you what if you're watching uh if you listen to the episode and you can see the title you already know what the album is but sam just for <coughs> standards go sake if you could announce the second greatest metal album of all time it is black sabbath's second album paranoid Released on the 18th of September, if I remember correctly, uh, in 1970 yep. through Vertigo Records, the band's second album, second to be released in the same year. Indeed. Um, uh, yeah, where else can we start? Let's talk about that for a moment. I, I suppose in the modern day, Sammy, standard procedure for bands, they usually take you know album releases every two years, maybe three years. You know, They tour the current album to death, then they go and write a new one. And that cog just keeps turning every two, unless, you, unless it's fucking while she sleeps, you release an album every fucking year. Um, 
usually album release, tour it to death, go and write a new album, record it, mix it, tour it <laughs> to death, write a new album, record it, mix it, and that ball just keeps running. Let me be devil's advocate here, Sam. If Black Sabbath took two years between their debut and Paranoid, could Metal have looked entirely different or maybe never even taken off at all? It's very, very possible. Um, these two albums released in the same year was the was the kickstart that Heavy Metal absolutely needed and the transition from the late 60s blues sound into the into the beginning of it and onwards and what we now associate with metal because um, Black Sabbath not just didn't just lay down the first tomes of of command of metal commandments like Moses esque laying down the rules but set blueprints for several other subgenres of metal in the same album within between Black Sabbath and, and Paranoid just about eighty minutes of music. Uh, Black Sabbath pretty much created, invented, and for at least the next few years, mastered what we now associate with modern heavy metal. Um, just didn't just change the genre. There wasn't a genre. <laughs> they invented invented the genre and drew it out as a as a true blueprint. A blueprint, and then distributed that over the next four or five albums, where they've now become rightly so the godfathers of of the genre today this has to be up here you know this has to be here this is why it is um no paranoid no black sabbath no heavy metal it really is that simple there's no yeah. hyperbole to it interestingly outside of their last album 13 this is the band's only ever uk number one album they they're one of those interesting cases where like in terms of they're one of those british bands that are like bigger in america which is, you don't get that often, do you? No, no, you don't. And and and, and also, um, it's worth noting that their debut album was the same year, and by a couple of months later, they're releasing a number one UK album. Yeah. So that shows you that, that not just the um, the create the creativity of it, because there's so many like first steps that we can point at that weren't very popular. It just it just starts off the third step. You know what I mean? But this was immediately. Uh, impactful and immediately popular um obviously because of the couple of the lead singles were just instant classics but it, it shows you that i don't know how i was saying it is a moment of genius a couple two moments of genius that really set off this band into the the, the huge career that it was i mean it, it's it's a tribute to how great this album is that it was immediately impactful in a time where heavy metal was incredibly far from at what was popular at that at that moment it's one of those interesting albums that exist as a fortunate circumstance, isn't it? This because, as we mentioned, it came out in the same year as their debut album. And had it not, the reason why I asked you about do you think metal doesn't exist at all is because had it taken another two years for it to come out, obviously Black Sabbath's debut album got interest. I think it finished like seventh in the UK album chart and it did relatively well uh, in America. But obviously if there's nothing to follow that up in the immediate striking while the iron's hot, people could have just become bored and moved on to the next thing. They didn't get a chance to move on to the next thing because the next thing was Black Sabbath. The next thing was Paranoid, which was, you know, 
what you heard on the debut, but kind of turned up to 11 and we'll get into the specifics obviously later on, but basically Tony Iommi becomes a guitar hero on this album. Yeah, it absolutely does. Tony Iommi invents what it is to be a heavy metal guitar hero on this album. Um, Now, obviously Black Sabbath began with their debut album um, of the same name with that incredibly historic first heavy metal song ever with the opener. But, um, with Paranoid, Iron Man and War Pigs, the three songs, the three standout songs on this album, he created the modern heavy metal riff right here yeah. on this album. And since then, every great guitarist since has been trying to write riffs as iconic as Black Sabbath did here. In whatever format and whatever style that they've grown accustomed to, heavy metal has always been to a degree about the riff in whatever format it is. Even now, breakdowns are slow riffs that are repeated, aren't they? It's just that the, the the percussion is different and the style is different and it's slowed down in this particular type of way. And riffs are the and melodies are the lead parts of heavy metal, which is what differentiated it from modern pop music, where the vocal melody was the king over in pop music. Whereas now the world had, had turned on its axis in heavy metal towards the instrument, towards the guitar. And we have spent the next, the next three to four decades for bands trying to do their own versions of Iron Man and Paranoid. And some have been successful and some have been less successful. Um, but it's because of Paranoid that we got Metallica and Pantera and these crushing riffs that Tony Iommi created with fairy liquid tips on his fingers while he's playing it's just extraordinary that this is the this is the this year was the there's the genesis of it all absolutely another part of this album that puts it into this body of like fortunate circumstances that bill ward had this interview and he he describes that like the reason why they were able to do two albums in the space of a year so and have them be so largely successful and the one album's got like three major major hits all-time metal hits on it's because they played together so much at a li- as a live band that they'd really got the system nailed down to a t like the, uh, he talks about this club club in hamburg where overall they played like eight 45 minute sets but they only had eight songs so they'd basically just they'd basically just fuck about on stage to extend their playing time. And moments like that is how Warpig started. They were fucking about with warning. And then um, Tony and I would just go, dun at, at, at one point during the set. And they were all like, that's any good. After the show, they like, that's any good. That bit. Do you, you should do this with that bit next time. And they'd spent mm-hmm. so, they had so much time just jamming in a room that most of Paranoid was written in the spare time that they had during their incessant touring. So again, fortunate circumstance that uh, they needed to capitalise and strike while the arm was hot because heavy metal had just been found and they would extend that again and make it this big major thing with it becoming a number one album. And fortunate circumstance that, as luck would have it, they didn't have to go into a room and start write, and start thinking, hey, they write the second album. The second album was already written. They just wrote it on stage while they were fucking about because they didn't have enough songs to fill the time. So they just needed to extend them. Which are all, all, you know, I, I, old stories that I find fascinating. And 
when I was doing my research on this album, there's, there's a really interesting quote from Pitchfork um, that I'd like to use for this part. Uh, okay. Black, Black Sabbath helped launch heavy metal, not just as a genre, but also as a veritable industry. That is a lovely quote. And I, I mean, wholeheartedly agree. And is it not correct? I mean, I mean, it just, that is just correct, isn't it? That is exactly what happened with this album. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it took heavy metal from being a idea to being a legitimate industry. Absolutely, that is perfect. Um, heavy metal became um, from conception to respected um, and tangible over the course of the months that Sabbath released this. There's absolutely no doubt about it. It's worth pointing out that in 1970, we're looking at bands like, I don't know, let's have a think, Pink Floyd, uh, Led Zeppelin and The Who. Um, distortion or, or any kind of you know, heavily sinister nature in, in sound was still quite a rarity, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, even beyond that, Chris, you're not, you're not really thinking about Led Zeppelin at all during that period of time. They were still very very small. I can't remember if their first album was late sixties or early seventies anyway, to be quite frank with you. But, um, you're actually looking at like Beatles kinks, yeah, like British, British invasion bands and bluesy pop stuff. Like you're not necessarily looking at at black Sabbath and, and, and heavy metal bands really at all as a concept. I mean, we only had distortion in music by accident six years before. Um, I'm pretty sure um, Steppenwolf's uh, Born to be Wild came out like two years before this with the whole heavy metal thunder lyric. Um, if not later on, when people then started applying that for, to Sabbath. So either way, it's, it's absolutely important to mention that 1970 was not where I think Black Sabbath wasn't the first on a, on a burgeoning tidal wave of cultural change. They are the tidal wave of cultural change. Um, and for them to come out with something like this is just, it was just preposterous in comparison. Yeah. It really, it really, really was that they, it was just so different and so dark in comparison and also political with obviously the content of war pigs and stuff like that, which is incredibly brave and people were incredibly fearful of making those sort of political statements. So not only was the music abrasive, but the political commentary was, was sharp and, and unpopular too. It's an incredibly brave album to put together just in isolation, let alone it having the success that it did, which is, which is almost impossible. The, think about the chances of success for this. Like these people coming together, creating this type of music with these type of themes and then releasing it at this particular time. If that, if that happened 10 times, does it, is it popular 10 times? Is it, you know, it's a, sort of a one in a million type production isn't it about it happening at this moment and it being this successful and this being well received and it working in this way if if you said to me 1969 we're gonna we're gonna write a, an album like this that sounds like this with these commentary and if you're like that's it's gonna sink the moment it comes out and that and that's that's why this is so astonishing that it not only came out and was any type of success but it's become this massive shifting um, monolith that it's become now it's 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 an absurd achievement quite hilarious sam uh to me when people complain about politics being involved in metal considering war pigs is literally about politicians sending out the working class to fight their wars for them i think it's hilarious yeah, precisely yeah precisely metal has always been political actually i would argue 
metal's existence alone is political. Yeah. It, the, the, the genre, the genres, the genre's entire mantra is anti-establishment. That's the port. That's the purpose. Um, because it's a piece of music to, intended for those people that feel um, left alone or isolated by the governmental system or the cultural system in which we operate. And metal provides an escape for those people. Its existence has been politicised. And no genre, barring maybe hip-hop and, and in, its, in its burgeoning years, but even then, but no other genre, in my opinion, has been more ostracized and criticized and uh, mocked and exaggerated more than for, 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 for the purpose of demonizing it than heavy metal. And it's, its sole existence is to provide comfort, reassurance and brotherhood to people who do not have those things in other aspects of their life and also provides an opportunity and a foundation for people to speak up and be creative and comment and point out things that are going wrong in society. So fuck yeah, politics should be in metal. Metal is political. Metal has been politicized by politicians. So yeah, it's, it's an absurd comment to make. Um, people, people who say that are incredibly uninformed. War Pigs is a song, right? I mean, I the way it's constructed just symbolises how tight Sabbath were at that time. And even now, it just sounds poetic to me, not just into lyricisms, but in the way that it's been captured in the studio. You know, Bill Ward's drumming is a great example of this, isn't it? Like, those almost like whispering cymbal hits behind Ozzy on the verses. And then Tony's... Riffs that come in like occasionally, mate. Oh, the War Pigs is so fucking genius. I agree. I think it's the best song on the album, even outside of um, the other two more famous songs. Just for its its songwriting is incredible. They used to use War Pigs as the audition song for anyone that tried to replace Bill Ward on drums because it's actually played in like a three four timing, like a waltz. And then kicks into different sort of timings there. And you have to play it with a certain feel. You can't play it like straight. And they used to use that as a way to initiate new drummers. And if you couldn't play it properly, then you, you wouldn't be in Sabbath. Um, and I just think it, I agree with you. It is incredibly iconic. I think alongside the opening title track on Black Sabbath, this is also Ozzy Osbourne's best vocal performance. A most iconic vocal melody. The generals gathered in their masses, just like which is at Black Masses line, yeah, yeah. is just absolutely fantastic. And the way that it combines with that sharp, jutting, immediately compelling Tony Iommi riff, beautifully simple, but like a, a double gut punch as it kicks in. I also adore just the tension of the hi hat. Yeah, just while that's all you can hear for a couple of seconds I adore that and then it kicks in with these incredible riffs near the end and it's just rolling on and rolling on and it's written to almost reflect the harshness and the size and gravity of war and those apocalyptic sounding riffs I think it's it's a it's a work of art I saw a video from Bloodstock I can't remember which year it was but they're, you know, they're waiting for the headliner to come on and War Pigs is played over the same system. And I tell you now, mate, 
the entire crowd bellowing. <laughs> that is these bellowing that every lyric, and it's a fucking amazing sight. It really is. It and and that you know, and that's like what. Uh, let's let's you know. I'll try and be reasonable. What f- at least forty years after it came out, at least it's probably it's probably it's, more than it's that. Fifty actually now. Well, yes, but, but obviously I don't know which year of Bloodstock it was. So yeah, it oh right, been, of it course. Yeah, it, sorry, it, what you mean? Yeah, yeah, it, mean. it could have been like twenty thirteen. So you know, uh, so it's yeah, at least we're in the forty to forty five, aren't we? Yeah, so it could have been. Yeah, it's at least forty years after it came out, and like that every lyric is big. I mean, obviously Bloodstock you'd expect, but even so. Every lyric is big, not just lyric, but every every part of the song. They're singing the dun 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 dun. The the entire crowd is singing every part of the song. Fucking what a sight! And again, if you're considering impact on a of a song, there's nothing more that we need to say other than that. I mentioned Tao Naomi becoming a guitar hero on this album. But I think that as soon as the as soon as the title track kicks in, mate, is where he truly becomes one. Yeah, I mate, I, I, I completely agree. Yeah, it's it's one it's one of the top five greatest heavy metal riffs ever. I've said this a few times uh, in the last few podcasts um, because we are lo and behold in the top three of the five albums ever. So it makes sense that the top five riffs are on this album um, on these albums. Uh, yeah, paranoid. It's a work of genius. It's 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 the riff, the one of the most iconic riffs ever. And I would actually this goes beyond heavy metal. Paranoid is one of the most iconic guitar melodies of all time, um, yeah. in, in any genre. Immediately recognisable, and instantly iconic, and immediately sets Sabbath up as a popular hit making band, while also not taking away any of their heavy metal integrity. And also, obviously, as the many repeat, as the oft-repeated story, written in about twenty-five minutes, yeah, I was and recorded this. in just under, and recorded in just under two hours with lyrics that pretty much didn't make sense, um, that were just sort of scribbled along to to match the riff, and the mon- uh, and, and the melody of, of of Tony Army's riff work, simply because out of out of necessity, they needed to fill five minutes on the album. It was just too short, um, which means that in twenty twenty. Or it, maybe even in 1975, the band just would have been like, oh, fuck it, we'll just send it out as it is. You might not have not released, not received one of these all-time great metal songs that's just a nugget of, of Tony Iommi's genius. It, what it really does is it just starts to show that really from 1970 to 1975, Black Sabbath were on a run of creativity that we really haven't ever seen often, really. It's, it's this and it's a, you know that Metallica run early on and a couple of other bands. Um, but five years, five albums, and some of these riffs just written like that shows you where Tony Iommi was in terms of his ability to just pull things together that were just immediately iconic. It got to the point where everything he did was like the first thing anyone had ever done ever. So yeah. like every, every his first 12 riffs are like the greatest 12 riffs of all time for heavy metal in the moment. This guy was like inventing metal as it, like in real time which is astonishing to say like, you know, when we say like, Oh, we need to like, wait, like, you know, like I'll put Holy hell in the last three of my top 100 because it's like, well, let's see in 10 years how we see it. Um, well, there wasn't that for Black Sabbath in 1970. It was like, Oh, that's 
already the greatest metal album ever. Like immediately because it was, it's the second one ever. And that's already like the fifth or sixth best riff because there's only seven or eight of them. But also that has actually lasted. That's that, that's the extraordinary thing. I would argue that not just because of the, the breadth of time, because of how iconic it was and how immediately and universal it is. Black Sabbath wrote Paranoid and we've not, in terms of, rec- in terms of universality, and recognizability we've not come near it since we've had 50 years to be to write an album more recognizable than paranoid and a song more recognized than paranoid and no one has ever done it literally the second heavy metal album ever is more listenable and 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 and, and sort of visible and iconic than any album that's come since and that includes the social media era the birth of radio and music videos. Yeah. All these additional technological advancements that bands can use to gain fans and have still never topped Paranoid in terms of how immediately iconic it is. You think that's extraordinary? Yeah, that's, that's, like saying the, that's like saying the first Doctor ever was also the best Doctor ever. And he's like stitching people together with their anaesthetic. Yeah. And it's like, that, that's actually what's happening in music here. These simplistic riffs are still some of the greatest riffs we've ever written and guitarists now can do like sweet picking without looking at the guitar and play like 250 beats a minute and they have studios and and social media and the internet and all this sort of stuff and they still can't do better more iconic riffs than what this fucking bloke from Birmingham did half on cocaine with fucking half of his fingertips taken off it's extraordinary when you think about it like that. The more I'm talking about it, the more excited I'm getting about it because yeah. it just makes no sense to me. No sense to me. It's just incredible. Utterly incredible. I'd be confident to say it's the first heavy metal song I ever fell in love with, Sam, because do you remember the... I think it might be Guitar Hero 3. Paranoid is, yeah. one, of the opening, Paranoid is one of the opening tracks on it. And I just remember immediately falling in love with its rhythm and sound. Obviously, when, when I was playing guitar, I was probably like 12, 13, 14 years old, so I wasn't introduced to metal yet. But I remember loving Paranoid, loving playing Paranoid because of its you know simplistic style and nature and just just that rhythm. So memorable, so catchy. Yeah. I, I just remember immediately being captured by it. Uh, you mentioned that it was, it was written in 25 minutes, and I think that more than anything else sums up just how tight this band were in terms of their performance because they'd drilled each other so much over the space of the two years by this point they'd been together touring extensively. They were able to just, Tony's on his own, pops out a cool riff, Geezer comes in and writes a few of the lyrics, Ozzy quick figures out a quick melody and Bill lays a beat down and that's it. They were able to do that because of how, how much they'd driven themselves on tour. Um, do you like Planet Caravan? Um, yeah, I wouldn't, it's I, right, I wouldn't it? say... Yeah, it's, but I actually quite like it for what it does within the album. So, I, to like the song in a vacuum is one thing. Can I say that I like it as a, as a function of the album? Do you know what yeah, I mean? I like yeah. it as a cog. I like it as yeah. a cog within the wheel. Like, it's like... You know, when you watch a character on the show and you're like, I don't like you as a character, but I like what you do within the show. Yeah. I like you as a villain, that sort of thing. I like Planet Caravan as a, as a brave change of scenery that shows the versatility of Black Sabbath and show this maudlin 
depressing underwater sound in depth to them that then allowed them to do the more variety, versatile stuff that led us to like the doom metal stuff on Master Reality and Volume 4. Do you know what I mean? Like, I like it for what it did for the band rather than it's an individual song. It's an individual song, I could take it or leave it, but I like it as a, as a thing for them, as a catalyst for their lighter performances then. And then Iron Man, mate, again. Oh. An, ab- an absolute fucking classic metal song and a further instance of Tony laying himself down as a guitar hero. And for me, a first mention for Ozzy here, who I think puts down a really amazing melody on this song. You know, his timing, the way he croons across the verses, really incredible stuff. And me and you have said that we don't consider Ozzy to be a great vocalist. Ozzy doesn't consider himself to be a great vocalist, but he does have great moments and this is absolutely one of them. And it's probably fair to say for me, that pretty much every single doom metal band ever has been influenced by Iron Man. I'd be confident. Yeah, and absolutely. And then completely sort of like blown away by like Hand of Doom and Fairies Wear Boots later on. Yeah, yeah. Well, Iron Man, the thing thing with Iron Man is that the first riff is so iconic, it makes you forget how good the the riff at the end of the song is. You know, when it it speeds up and it's like... That's like proper like, holy shit, this is modern metal. Do you know what I mean? Like you hear that and you're like, okay, that's Judas Priest. That's Iron Maiden. Do you know what I mean? That, that running sort of galloping drum sound with the fast paced riff. That's, that's new wave of British heavy metal 10 years in advance. That's what that is. Um, but the fact that again, it's talked about Warpids and, and, and Paranoid. When I, when I picked up a guitar, I learned Smoke on the Water and then Iron Man. It does, they're the two riffs. Yeah, you know, it's it, they're immediately iconic, immediately simple, easy. You can sing along. Everybody knows them, and it just sounds fucking massive, absolutely massive. It's it's a doom metal riff, and it again, I keep repeating myself with the the war pigs and and, and, and paranoid stuff. But again, has doom metal ever gone <laughs> got a has ever better no, moment than no, Iron Man? No, no. Do you know no. what I mean? He kicked off an entire genre. They've got the, the, the genre's never come anywhere near it. We've had it for fifty years. It's yeah. never got better. Never yeah. got better than it's it's antithesis. It's sorry. It's it's beginning. It's 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 opening. It's, it's exposition of Iron Man is the best version of this entire genre, and it wasn't even a doom metal song. And on on top of it, the riff changes and the the structure and the the way that it can just rotate from brilliant riff to brilliant riff to brilliant riff. It's just every minute of this, every second of this is iconic. It's just extraordinary. And, and also, side note, absolutely delighted that you're enjoying this. Oh, yeah. Fuck it. Doesn't, no, doesn't that. Sh- but exactly. 50 years old, Chris. This is the oldest, ba- this is the oldest metal album on this list. Yeah. From the first Black Sabbath album. <laughs> yeah. And hi- history, history would tell us that that's usually not sat well for your taste. But doesn't that prove? Doesn't that show that this is the universal metal band with yeah. the universal metal album yeah. for any metal fan that I, the classic loving metal fan, think it's brilliant. And you, um, a very much modern, recently indoctrinated metal fan, also think it's brilliant. How is that not showing you that this is obviously worthy to be on the, the sort of Mount Rushmore of metal? Absolutely. Uh, I, I adore this album. I think it's fucking brilliant. Um, and it's set... I think 
one of the things that I like really, really love about this album is how sinister it sounds, but it's not actually sinister. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, um, I do, because the, the lyrical content is dark and it's heavy metal, so you, and it's it's a little bit dark and a little bit edgy, but really the riffs are quite bluesy and rock-centric, aren't they? I think it's the way that Bill's drums are produced, you know. All right, talk to me. Well, there's something really empty about their isolation, but I don't mean that in terms of they don't they sound really thin. I mean, like, the way that they... Like, War Pigs is is a really really good example and and Iron Man and also um, Fairies Wear Boots as well like it, Bill sounds really really powerful doesn't he it's, he sounds yeah. it sounds like the drum kit is about to break like the, the way he's been producing it's really just this thumping like pounding sound for almost every single song and it's almost like the drums are the heaviest part of the album do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, yeah, it's a very percussive album. And then, um, obviously, as a drummer, you, you, you geek out on stuff like Rat Salad. Well, yeah, when, just, when we get there, I will absolutely let you take the floor, of course. Um, where he just he shows off his, his ability there. But I, I, I agree. I think the drum sounds terrific. I think it's incredible. This was essentially recorded in like a basement in 1970. And it's, I know it's been remastered a couple of times, but it still holds up so well. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just perfection. It's perfection. Um. And it's so thick still and heavy yeah. and recorded so well and meshed together beautifully. Um, it really is the perfect balance of blues and swing and this new energetic, dark, heavy metal thing that was just being created. And Ozzy Osbourne's high-pitched voice, it was just the perfect mesh of four blokes creating really the perfect heavy metal sound in the moment that we've we've yet to really perfect we've just it's just changed and been redeveloped and um and taken further in whatever direction that band chooses to take it in um this is just black sabbath is at the heart of every band ever every metal band ever if you just take enough layers away it just depends on how many layers um you will get to sabbath eventually any metal band you if if we drew a flow chart from sabbath downwards you could get from sabbath to every metal band ever yeah they're at the heart of everything and the the musicianship on this that the, the production the mixing has invented so many things for the first time and the fact that it happened so long ago i think he's, he's always continually baffled me uh it's just extraordinary you can pick hairs between the differences between stoner and doom metal, but stoner metal gets born on hand of doom for me. <laughs> like that, yeah. like like paranoid doesn't just paranoid doesn't just invent heavy metal; it it, it invents heavy metal subgenres as well. You know, but still, that's still haven't been beaten. I haven't heard a stoner metal song, but and I don't listen to stoner metal like regularly, but I've not heard one a stoner metal song better than hand of doom. Um, no, absolutely. Down have never written a song better than Hand of Doom, have I? No. I mean, and there's like Stavant. There's a real relaxation on on Geezer, on, on Geezer's bass tones that I love, especially in that first two minutes. And I think Oz, this is Ozzy's best song on this album. When he when he does that uh, lyric, uh, you know, you must be blind to do things like this. It sounds gorgeous over that part. 
And like I say, we, we've said that Ozzy wouldn't call himself a great vocalist, but I think this album is where he gets closest to being able to make a claim that he is. If Ozzy was going to go out there and say, well, no, I'm going to, I would sound a great vocalist because I think what would follow is my performance on Paranoid. Um, I yep. think this is the best. I know you love that debut album and the way he sounds on the song, on uh, the first mm-hmm. on Black Sabbath. I do. I, I know that you love that, but for me, this is the closest um, he gets a stake and a claim to being considered a great vocalist. Um, mate, Rat Salad, how could I even begin to formulate an opinion without coming towards you? I mean, it's it's it's, it's an incredible piece of musicianship from Bill Ward, isn't it? Uh, who... He's a great, he's a good drummer, but never really. I don't think he's very often considered one of the great drummers in in metal history. He's just perfect for this band. But on this, he, it's lovely. Uh, it's terrific. The the snare rolls, the way that he rotates between that around the toms and this, allowing him to have this spotlight as well, in between all of this guitar led, Aussie led sort of madness that's followed previously, is I. It's a lovely, it's a lovely moment. It's a lovely moment for the album, but also, it's a reminder how brilliant they are as musicians as a cohesive unit. It's a nod to their improvisational qualities. It very much sounds like they just re- playing this on the fly, doesn't it? it? It sort of sounds like like a swinging, moving, flowing, fluid um, creation that allows Bill Ward to stretch his legs out a little bit, um, but. Again, this is prog-esque, isn't it? Oh, it's yeah. two and a half minutes. Um, but going this into the six-minute um, Fairy Wear Boots followed from the seven-minute Hand of Doom. Again, uh, you could argue that not just modern heavy metal, stoner metal, doom metal, this is prog. This is slow prog metal in its infancy. Um, coming out again. What's that? What are we on? Like four, five genres of heavy metal yeah. on one album? It's, it's, it's extraordinary. This is the most creative in terms of first genres being produced here than in any album we've we've ever we've ever sort of come across before or since. Um and the same with the same with the next track, Fairies Wear Boots, which is like simultaneously bluesy and doomy and heavy metal and all this sort of stuff put together. Like man, if you're learning guitar in nineteen seventy and you listen to this or you're learning any instrument, this must have just been the hammer stroke to end all hammer strokes for what music's going to sound like for you it must have just changed your life immediately and and obviously it did because it was a number one album somehow <laughs> like competing with like i don't know fucking abba or something whoever was massive in the beatles fuck 1970 let it be yeah. came out like it's extraordinary um but yeah i i can't i can't speak any more than every part of this album is incredibly creative and indelibly impactful in its own particular way because it happened first and since then it's rarely been rarely been beaten it's an incredible it's an incredible coalescence of musicianship and social commentary and riff work and composition that laid the groundwork for every conceivable heavy metal stereotype this is heavy metal's cliche because it is the cliche it is the standard it is the blueprint it is the benchmark it is the it is the standard of of metal and it's the cloth that the flag of heavy metal is printed upon. It is everything that is related to heavy metal. It is its every particle, every being. It's its heart in the center of of this moving fluid body that we, that has now taken on fifty years of life. It is it is it. It is the soul of of the music that we love so much, and that's why it's here. Every part of this is incredibly impactful. Every 
every section. It's 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 paranoid by Black Sabbath. It's 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 incredible. Just to be close out, mate, oh, I love how fairies wear boots. Is this big, thick rock song in amongst all this heavy metal innovation? <laughs> uh, Me I, too. I, I, I fucking love that. Uh, it's a terrific send off. Uh, a million times during just uh, not just on this album, but when we previously discussed Black Sabbath. The sound of the recording, how tightly knit everyone everyone is, it's just phenomenal. I'm unbelievably in love with Bill's isolated drum sound. Everything about this album it is is so is a for, is fortunate of circumstance, but almost unfathomable to think of the music we listen to without it. I mean, what do you say about this album? One of the all-time greats, undisputed. Heavy metal would either look entirely different or would straight up not exist without it, um, without just rehashing what you've said. It, it's that simple. Um, it is... Heavy metal is paranoid. And uh, that's it's as simple as that. And there really isn't anything else to say, is there? No, no there, there really, really isn't. Apart from the fact that... Um, it had to be at this point and it, it was the most difficult decision not to put this at number one. And we'll have to, I'll have to do a fair bit of explaining of why the next album is better in my viewpoint, I guess. The next time that we discuss the greatest metal album of all time will be us discussing what landed number one. For that, we will save it until we can video the episode. Yep. Whenever, whenever that might be, um, lockdown tears, um, not my tears. Well, some of my tears, but lockdown tears permitting. Whenever that can, <laughs> whenever that can be, we will record the greatest metal album of all time. Uh, Sam, thank you so much for drilling us through that the list of over a hundred. Well, over a hundred. What the fuck am I on about? A hundred albums for over a year. Uh, amazing stuff man and I can't wait for our discussion on whatever comes number one thank you very much it's been an absolute pleasure being able to put it together and it's been wonderful being able to discuss these albums with you let's close off Sam uh, ACDC Power Up uh, the 17th fuck me 17 studio albums um, I mean I, I feel considering of the knowledge that you've got of ACDC it would be um, stupid of me to try and lead uh, this album review uh, so I, I will just occasionally chime in uh, what I will say um, like guitarist Malcolm Young's nephew Stevie Young is on rhythm guitar I love that mm-hmm. that's yeah that's that's fantastic isn't it Brian Johnson's been fitted with a special hearing aid uh, so, he's, so he's able to continue mate this guy <laughs> fuck me he's risking his fucking hearing just for fucking uh, heavy rock music unreal um and I, I think the fact that a lot of the riffs here at play are taken from Angus and Young's archive, I think it's a really, really nice touch, man. And because of that, I feel like the whole album, at the, you know, the whole point of the album is so it sounds like a throwback because it's riffs from the archive. And as this final ode to Malcolm, which I think is really beautiful and fitting, um, Considering of your knowledge of ACDC and mine only goes to Highway to Hell and uh, Back in Black, what are your thoughts of Peril? I think it's really good, like legitimately. For, for, for what I expected this ACDC album to be, which it felt like it, there was a chance that it could have been a 
tired tribute to a fallen soldier, but a clear reminder that ACDC are long past, not just their best, but long past any sense of, 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 of acceptability in terms of writing new music because of the age and their, their athletic ability and just ability in general to be able to get together and record these pieces of music. I actually was pleasantly surprised by the fact that this is actually a very good album, a very good ACDC album. Um, there are some really good songs and really good yeah. riffs yeah. on this album. There's some really, really, really delightful moments like Through the Mists of Time, which is Spell and Demon Fire are three of the better ACDC songs I've heard in 15 years. Um, I am amazed at Brian Johnson's voice. Oh my considering, God. How, considering how, how, how does he still sound like this? It's utterly fantastic. Um, now, Angus Young is my take. Angus Young has, has responded to criticism that every album sounds the same and every album sounds like ACDC. But I want to offer a different point of view. Isn't it astonishing that they still can sound like ACDC yeah. rather than complaining that they do? Yeah. Isn't it phenomenal that after 50 years that they're still able to sound like, hmm, let's think about it, the greatest rock band of all time? Because they are. Yeah. And... They just are. <laughs> it's yeah. Led Zeppelin. It's not Led Zeppelin. It's not Deep Purple. It's not fucking Def Leppard. It's these. It's ACDC. And then there's a big gap. And then it's everybody else. And for ACDC, for these guys to still sound like 80% of ACDC or as close to a genuine throwback to some great ACDC sounds is fantastic because this is, this is fantastic for what it is. Um, if... Honestly, Chris, we were talking earlier about Green Day. If Green Day produced a Green Day album as good as this is an ACDC album, you would be head over heels in love. I'd be off my tits, Absolutely be buzzing. Yeah, absolutely. If, um, bloody hell, mate, if You Me at Six brought out a You Me at Six (laughs) album as good as this is an ACDC album, you'd be like, mate, it's 2009 again. I'm dying my hair. I'm getting a fringe. Like, I like it. We're fucking going. I'm sorry, I'm bullying you into it. I'd be like, fine, the album is pretty good. Like, I'd, Do you know what I mean? It would just be amazing. For the fact that these guys are producing six, 16 albums prior to this, they've already written two of the top five to seven greatest, uh, greatest rock albums ever. And obviously the two of the greatest heavy metal albums ever by Connection in Back in Black and, and Highway to Hell. That they're still able to write riffs that sound good. They're either to write songs that are still compelling like I would like they play Witch's Spell or Through the Mist of Time or Demon Fire Live and I'm set I'd be same with it same with Rejection same with Shot in the Dark this is a really good ACDC album for what it is and the thing is is I don't want ACDC to sound like anything else why would you no. who's listening to ACDC thinking you know what I want to see Axel uh, sorry Angus Young do I want to see what he could do um, with a keyboard or I want to see what they sound like if they tried Deathcore for a minute what the fuck? They're ACDC. Let them be ACDC. That's all they want to do. That's all their fans want to do. And that's that's what they are. That's what they're brilliant at. And that's it. Some of these riffs are terrific. The, the riff at the start of Demon Spell. It's like Sin City from like 1974. It's, it's like fantastic. And also, it's a testament that they still manage to write riffs that sound new. They've been using the same four fucking chords for 50 years. It's the same blueprint. 
Yeah. It's astonishing. Phil Rudd has played the same drum beat on every single song ever. <laughs> every single drum beat is the same. It's never changed. He's like, what are you going to do for this one, Phil? Oh, I think I might do like a basic 4-4 beat. Oh, that's a great idea. Do you know what I mean? Like, just, yes, yeah, sound. My only criticism, really, considering um, that it's a good ACDC album by ACDC that are near their 70s, and one of the guys who've written half these riffs has died. It's, it, it's astonishing. My only criticism is I think it could send, I think the riffs could have been double-tracked because I think the riffs sound a bit, bit slim. And it does sound at times that they do show their age on it. And I think the drum production could be a bit stronger um, and sort of fluffed up a little bit because you listen to the song, the ACDC albums from the 80s and it doesn't have that same thickness, which it should do because it's 2020. There's no excuse for it. But that aside, Brian Johnson sounds like Brian Johnson. Angus Young sounds like Angus Young. Malcolm Young, played by his son, sounds like Malcolm, his brother or whatever the actual... I think he might be Nephew, brother. sorry, nephew. Nephew, my mistake, there's a family relation. Sounds like Malcolm fucking Young. Phil Rudd sounds like Phil Rudd. Cliff Williams sounds like Cliff Williams. And ACDC sounds like ACDC. This is, a, this is a tremendously heartwarming, endearing moment in rock music that the greatest rock band ever can still put it together and play some great rock music that I would be perfectly happy to hear live. And I desperately hope they can tour before they all retire. I think this is a really, this is not going to be a top, this is not in my top five albums of the year. This is not a wonderful life-changing achievement. But what it is, is a reminder that some things are eternal. Death, Taxes and Angus Young. And I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. ACDC are eternal. And this is just another reminder of that. And some things just work, man. Some things yeah. just work. The riffs, these riffs are just class. These, these, these musicians are just fantastic. And Brian Johnson still sounds like Brian Johnson. This is what the greatest rock ballad ever sound like. Let's not fuck about with it. It's worked 50 years. I'm just glad it's still with us for a little bit longer. That, that's, that's, we should just be appreciative of that. I think this is a very good album for what exactly what it's supposed to be. And I'm very pleased that I can say that. Yeah, this is a really great rock album. This is, um, you know, the second it opened, we realised I was astonished how good Brian Johnson still sounds for his age. Obviously, he's in his studio, but regardless, you know, you can't help but be impressed. You get that sense of impending cathartic fun as soon as the album gets going. That's what ACDC are. You know, ACDC are like a fucking rhythmic bouncy castle man. Like, you listen to ACDC, you can't have a bad time. Um, and then obviously you've got Angus, you know, he drops his character all over Realize. And then as soon as Rejection starts, he's there again, laying down a classic thick riff, beautiful solo on that, on that track as well. I'm with you, man. I, I think Through the Mist of Time is the best song on the album. And I, I just love that high tempo build that culminates in a massive anthemic chorus. Um, class to see the, the band's wit and humour when discussing their love life hasn't gone anywhere as well, Sam, with Witch's Spell. But obviously it's been modernised lyrically, thankfully. But I, I love to see that charm, that charming wit and humour still exists. And I think the best compliment I could give the album is the songs are a wild reputation. Sound like they could have come out at any point in ACDC's tenure. Which would usually be a negative comment, but as we've discussed, because this record is quite clearly meant to stand as a beacon of what ACDC has always been, it works so well. And you mentioned, why the fuck would you want ACDC to change? They're brilliant at this, and you would never, you would never want it to change. One thing I did want to mention that we never usually talk about. 
I love the album artwork, I do. Yeah, it's great. Um, my dad's got the vinyl, and it's yellow. It's yellow clear vinyl, like a lightning bolt. It's fantastic. Amazing. This small, dimly lit stage with ACDC letters lit up in red. For me, a perfect sign-off note for the band in terms of imagery because it's the ideal tale for the classic working man's band. Rustic, no-nonsense and honest. As well, also a nice touch of symbolism that even in darkly lit times that the ACDC music is eternal. Yeah. And even, even while dimming, he's still lighting up rooms, lives and speakers. And I think Systems Down is a perfect example of why a band like ACDC would chose to musically lead a really youthful franchise like Iron Man because of this enthusiastic vibe that runs through that track and this whole album. Brian's vocals as well really bring that kind of vibrancy to life. I think that, as you've mentioned and put so eloquently, ACDC are eternal. And yes, they are. In a hundred years from now, ACDC will still be played, lauded and adored. Um, I think this album is a fitting, likely sign-off for one of the great bands of any time. Um, I'm glad these riffs eventually made it to tape. I hope that we get one more UK tour. We will fight for tickets. I want to see this fucking yeah. band. Before, I want to see this band before they take the final bet. Oh, I'm going to do anything to get tickets to this. Yeah. Oh, I, I need... I, they're, they're the... Really, the last band that I truly, truly love that I've never been able to see. If I can see Angus Young, I'll just be a mad man. It's 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 actually it's actually personally nice to me because ACDC were the first heavy metal band I first rock band I ever really got into. Um, I loved I loved hearing them on School of Rock when I was ten. I I got my dad to make me compilation albums of all their songs. I used to watch live albums of them when my parents went to work. I'd just steal stuff. And put it through, put it through my dad's speakers, and watch it, watch it during school holidays and stuff. And Angus Young was like a, an early hero for me. So hearing this, hearing them still sound like this, is is so heartwarming and endearing for me, and just wonderful to have them in my lives again. Um, it's like, it's like having old friends listening to old friends again, and it's just lovely. It's like when you when you watch a, when you watch a TV series that you've watched a few times before and it's like reconnecting with friends and reconnecting with old buddies that you're happy to see again. That's what this ACDC album feels like to me and I'm just glad that in a, it sounds, it sounds romantic, but like in a world where so much is changing, it's really nice to have a bit of consistency from some of your musical heroes and this is absolutely that moment. It just brought a smile to my face, man, and that's, that's more that can be said for a lot of albums I've heard this year. Can you imagine if I had an interview to put into this episode as well? Fucking okay, no. <laughs> hell. I think this has got to be the longest episode we've ever done where we haven't had an interview involved. Uh, that brings to an end episode 54 of the Noise Podcast. It also brings to an end the Noise Podcast in its normal format for this year. The next time you hear me and Sam talking, we'll be discussing our album of the year list. Um, thank you very much for all the support you've given the show uh, for the last 12 months. Uh, we're continuing to have ideas and move on to bigger and better things. Remember to subscribe to us on YouTube, to follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast, and to keep an eye on our channel and socials because exciting things are coming. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be back in two weeks' time to do our album of the year listing, and then we will be away until the start of 2021. And as soon as we can, we'll be videoing not just the greatest metal album of all time episode, 
but every single episode that we can we will be videoing uh, and i'm very excited for that um thank you for listening thank you for your time and as ever subscribe keep notified and we'll be back in two weeks we love you bye